Parshas Chaisa. In our quest to uncover the cohesive theme of a parsha through working through thoroughly the parsha substance and tracing patterns, textual patterns, conceptual patterns, we seek to walk away with relevant, resonant, conceptual themes in the parsha, which the parsha captures. And Ba'ezus Hashem, what we will see emerging in Parshas Chai Sara, quite literally meaning the life of Sara, is that this Parsha is paying homage not only to Sara, but by extension to the Jewish woman in general. Sara is the first Jewish woman, and this Parsha titled The Life of Sara, we will see, is paying homage to her, and by extension, all. Let's develop this slowly. The first narrative in the parsha deals with the death, burial, mourning in response to Sarah's demise. And I would suggest that more than simply a story which happened to happen at this point in the chronology of Avram and Sarah's life, Sarah died. The Torah here is harping on it with uncharacteristic specificity, talking through every stage of this process and Avram's complicated negotiations to buy her burial plot. What this fixation is about is just how large Sarah loomed that when she was no longer here, her departure was a fixation, her death, her burial, her mourning process, the inability to get beyond, to move beyond her demise. Avramavinu here, totally overcome and overwhelmed by her death and had to respond to it, is a testament to her role And let's develop this a bit more. My first clue, my first midrasha clue, pointing in this direction, that this death story, or burial story of Sarah, is telling us something primal and fundamental about the role of Sarah slash the Jewish woman, sometimes sadly only appreciated when she's not only here, is in a well-known gemar. The Gemara in Kiddushin, the beginning of Masechus Kiddushin, derives the betrothal process, the Kiddushin process, from Agzera Shava, from a textual linkage to our parsha. That regarding Kiddushin, the Pasuk says, mm-hmm. when man takes a woman. In our parsha, when Avram buys the burial plot for Sarah, the Pesach says, Nasati So you have Kiikach in regard to betrothal, you have Kach in regard to the transaction of the burial plot. Kicha and Kicha tells me it's the same process, just as an exchange of money or an article of value happened to cement, to legally cement the, the acquisition of Maris Hamach this burial plot. Likewise, Kiddushin is consecrated through Kesef, through 
the barter of money or an article of value. The chassan gives the kala a ring or some such thing. Now, far more than simply a legalistic zerashava, there must be a concept, a meaning here, to the fact that the process of how kiddushin is done is derived specifically from Avram buying the burial plot for Sarah. Something's going on here. In a certain sense, it's provocative. How surprising that this happiest of experiences, marriage, is derived from a story about burial. Many a Shavabrachas joke has been made about this. But joking aside, truth be told, what is going on here? Why is the Kiddushin process being derived from the acquisition of a burial plot? But we begin to appreciate that there's something almost magical to this Xerashava. Marriage, bringing the Jewish, the man brings the woman into his life. Well, that has been connected to the story of the first Jewish husband, acting in devotion to the first Jewish wife, buying this burial plot. There's something to that. That I would suggest on a deeper level, what is really going on in this Xerah Shabbos as follows. You know, oftentimes we think of a young couple at the inception of their marriage, with all the romanticism and high hopes, we think of that as the ideal. But the truth is, a young chas and kala are very immature and their relationship is immature. You'll excuse me for saying it. When I see some of the young twerps today, yeah, I kind of wonder, they could barely care for themselves. They're going to be able to care for someone else. Mm -hmm. Somehow they manage. They rise to the challenge. But the point is, a relationship matures. A relationship grows. And what Avram and Sarah had achieved by the end of their marriage, really models the apex of what Jewish marriage could be. Avram and Sarah's love, mutual commitment, reciprocal devotion, and so forth. What Avram was doing here in the final moments of their earthly rendezvous together, so to speak, he was placing her body, depositing her body away forevermore. What he was doing here, the emotions, the sense of commitment, was the expression of the apex of Jewish marriage as manifested in the first Jewish marriage. And when the young couple stands under the chuppah, young and immature, twerpy as they might be, when the Kiddushin process points to the Avram and Sarah story, what it does is it kind of sets a destination. It kind of sets an ideal. This is where the Jewish marriage is headed. And the devotion which Avram has to the Sarah, the fixation he has on Sarah, his inability to move on. This is what the Jewish husband has in mind, ought to have in mind, when he is consecrating his relationship to his wife. So it's far more than a legalistic story of buying a burial plot. It is the very apex of what Jewish marriage is all about, of the regard what the husband has for the wife. That is clue one in this narrative. Pointing to the fact 
this is a, a marriage, a serenation to the first Jewish woman, and by extension, what Jewish women and relationship is all about. Now I want to trace another clue as well. A well-known medrash, which requires some interpretation. The medrash comments on the Pasuk early in our parasha. When it says, Avram eulogized Sarah, if Ayavu Avram misbolded Sarah, he came to eulogize Sarah. Well, wouldn't it be fascinating if we had a copy of that eulogy? What were the words Avram Avinu said? Well, Medrash teaches that his eulogy was the Eishas Chai. The Eishas Chai, which we know Shlomo writes in the book of Mishlei, well, Medrash says that's what actually what Avraham recited at Sarah's funeral. That was the Hasbik. Now, when we study a Medrash like this maturely, with sophistication, we have to ask various questions. Are we supposed to take a Medrash like this literally? Yeah, that was text and verse, the eulogy he said. It's hard to believe. What a coincidence, in quotes, that the very words that Shlomo later wrote, centuries later in Mishlei, was text and verse Avram's speech. That Shlomo either came up with himself, or plagiarized, if I may be so reverent of the original. It's hard to believe. And it's hard to believe if that's what happened, that there's no record in the Pesukim itself, that this speech was... This poem, Eishashchayel, was kept alive through the centuries. You see, um, to interpret this medrash literally is to approach not only this medrash, but the whole medrashic endeavor from a very infantile perspective. We know that medrash is about motifs and concepts rather than data points, minutiae. The Medrash is conveying something conceptual here. What the Medrash is saying is all the sentiments of Eishas the way Eishas captures everything a Jewish woman is, and by extension, the whole regard which the husband has for the wife, Eishas all those heartwarming sentiments he ex expresses to her as the wife of Valor Eishas Well, that was all conveyed in our drama Binu's eulogy. Avramovino's eulogy in our parish is not simply the story of an individual husband mourning his personal life's partner. As the first Jewish husband mourning the first Jewish wife, it is, it is in fact the model story, the apex story. And all sentiments Jewish people have subsequently of Ashes Chayel, they all have their roots in Avramovino's eulogy which is a serenation to Sarah. So whether it was literally the Ashes Chayel, which it likely was not, I am suggesting, conceptually speaking, this, the roots of Ashes Chayel, the basis of Ashes Chayel, is all in our parsha because that is the theme here in the death and the burial of Sarah, a glorification of the role of the Jewish woman as emblemized by the first Jew. So hence we have several clues in the opening narrative of our parasha, the death and the burial of Sarah, that it is, as I put it, a serenation to the Jewish woman. Let's move on now from this perspective to the middle narrative of our parasha. The middle narrative of our parasha is the Rivka story. Rivka becomes Yitzchak's wife. Quite a, a story of 
a litany of specificity. How Eliezer, the servant of Abraham, found her. What is the overall message the Torah is seeking to convey? Well, now that we understand that the death of Sarah in the beginning of the parish is all about glorifying the indispensable role of the Jewish woman, I would suggest now we can see the story of Rivka emerging as a passing of the baton. Yeah, there's another Jewish woman stepping up as the play here. What that's supposed to show is the Sarah, the Chai Sarah, does not die, continues, endures in the next generation, and by extension the next generation, until the Neshei Chaya we all are privileged to have amongst us today, who become the Sarah reincarnate. Let's trace this textually from the narrative itself, the Rivka narrative, that we see that that's what it's pointing to, that Rivka is serving as the perpetuation of Sarah. The endurance of Sarah as that eternal Jewish woman who never dies. She just occupies different bodies. She just assumes different personas, whether she's a Sarah, Rivka, or all of our fine women. Well, if you want to know what a story is about, you need to read the final closing sentence. That's what we teach in essay writing. The same thing is true of a narrative in Chumps. You want to know what it's got to study the final narrative to see what was the destination, what, what, what was the goal of that whole narrative. What's its bottom line? What is the bottom line of the Rivka narrative? So let's read it carefully. The Torah says like this, Yitzchak takes his new wife, Rivka, into the tent of Sarah, his mother. He takes Rivka, she was from a wife, he loved her. Yitzchak was consoled after his mother's death, now in the bosom of Rivka. Now, on the simplest, most simple level, it's a beautiful, heartwarming pasuk about Jewish marriage, perhaps from the most explicit in the Chumash. He loved her, he was comforted in her bosom. It begins to point in this direction. There's something here fundamental about Jewish marriage being conveyed. In fact, it's interesting to note there are various halachas that are derived from this narrative, Rivka Yitzchak marriage. Tosts of Masechus Ksuba, Sites of Masechus Kala, the concept of Birchas Eris and the brachas we make in Achas and are derived from this story. Suggesting that's more than a legalistic derivation, that is because this too is a model story about Jewish marriage. But even deeper, notice how this closing narrative of, this closing passage, this final closing sentence of the Rivka story, speaks not only of Rivka, but speaks of Yitzchak, Rivka replacing the role of the part of Sarah. It stresses how Yitzchak brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother. Now, what is significant about the fact that he brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother? Who cares about the location? Who cares? Why is it significant that he did not invest in a new tent from the outdoor store? And rather, he used the same tent of Sarah, his mother. It's a concept being portrayed here that Rivka fills the shoes of Sarah, though she has a different personality, different body, different personality, different character. She is perpetuating that eternal role, that indispensable role of the Sarah. This is reflected in the Pshat significance that he brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and by extension in the Drash, the Drash, the Drash of this phrase, which further reflects the Pshat. We know Rashi's Drash, which reads this verse, he brought her in the tent of Sarah, his mother. As follows, he brought her into the tent 
And suddenly she appeared as Sarah, his mother. Rivka assumed the aura of Sarah, the various miracles associated with Sarah. The perpetually burning candle, the cloud of Shechina on the tent, the blessing in the dough, right? These three miracles, which Chazal associate with the three mitzvahs of women. Halakas Neros, the candles associated here with the perpetually burning candle, the blessing in the dough is the mitzvah of Chala, and the Shechina, the cloud on the tent, which Chazal associate with Taras HaMashpacha and the notion of Shechina in Jewish marriage. So all of the, that whole ethos of Sari Menu and the Jewish woman is perpetuated here in Rivka. This is far more than simply a bit of Midrashic trivia. The miracles came back, she appeared like Sari. But this is, in fact, a further expression of the Pshat of the Pasuk itself. Rivka will enter the tent of Sarah because the whole Yitzchak Rivka story is showing us how Jewish marriage, and by extension the role of Sarah, is perpetuated in subsequent generations. And the pattern continues later in this Pasuk. When it tells us, He loved her and was comforted after his mother. Yitzchak found comfort as we said, in the bosom of Rivka. Says Rashi, this is not simply an individual story of a particular son who amidst grief found solace in his relationship with his wife. But says Rashi, this is the human story. Says Rashi, this is true of men in general, that while a man's mother is alive, he finds solace in his mother. But then when his mother's no longer here, he finds solace in his wife. The depth of that statement is as follows. There is a unique feminine companionship, which we men seek, which is indispensable to our being, to our survival, to our sense of self, to our sense of shlames. And at the formative stages in our life, we find this in our mother. But then as the maturation process of life and the transition points of life continue, progress, we find this in a wife. Ultimately, when the mother is no longer here, it, that, that maternal feminine influence takes a new form, no longer in the dependency towards a mother, but now in the companionship towards a wife. There are different relationship, reflecting a progressed stage of maturation on the man's part. But the point is, it's an indispensable feminine role, characteristically nurturer role, which we crave and seek. And the only solution to the conundrum, to the impossibility to survive when a man loses his mother is his wife. Because somehow, some way, we need that nurture, we need the feminine influence in our lives. This is not only true about Yitzhak and Rivka, but appreciate all the, all the emotional resonance in that development as we teased out the Rashi. What Yitzchak was experiencing here as he found feminine companionship with previously in Sarah but now in Rivka, expanding this to be the story of Jewish men in general and the way our maturation process works in our quest for feminine companionship, it was very powerful now. It was a very powerful of our, in terms of our overall development of Parshish Chai Sarah as we weave the pieces together cohesively. This is a parsha all about the indispensable role of the Jewish woman, beginning with Sarah, but certainly not ending with Sarah. And now finally, let's study the final part of our parsha. 
the final part of our parsha, Parachafei, seemingly moves in a different direction. It seemingly moves beyond Sarah and Rivka. It talks about the end of Avram Avinu's life. You might say the dusk of his life. Avram Avinu fathers children with a woman named Keturah, and he then dies in his bed. Well, how does that fit in? More than simply another event in the chronology of Avram Avinu. I am convinced that as part of the larger Chai Sarah life of Sarah, tapestry, serenation to the Jewish woman. Now, let me explain that. There is a message echoing throughout this narrative of the dusk of Avram's life, You will see throughout that what it's really dealing with is solidifying Yitzchak's role as ear to the Avramic throne. Dealing with resolving any questions of rivalry. It stresses here, for example, that as much as Avram fathered new children with Keturah, the Pasuk says he gave them presents, but only limited presents. The primary inheritance, both materially and Misora, Avram left to Yitzchak and Yitzchak alone, not to these other children. And then the Chumash further stresses he sent these children away from Yitzchak when he was still alive. He sent them off the scene to the Far East, making it very clear. Avram Davina does not want any lingering questions after he dies. Who's a stakeholder in the development of Klal Yisrael? Who's the next op? He sent them away, which is a wise really wise admonition to parents in general not to leave a potential for lingering conflict after they die. But in particular, silencing any dissent. Yitzchak is the man. And then this narrative further stresses that when Yitzchak died, Hashem came, Hashem blessed Yitzchak and really validated Yitzchak, you're the next. Ah, and furthermore, this narrative stresses that when Avram Avinu died, Yitzchak and Yishmael buried him, mentioning Yitzchak first, implying, as Rashi says, that Yitzchak was the primal mover at that funeral because Yishmael acknowledged at the funeral Yitzchak is the primary successor. Do so you, you hear the rhythm of this narrative? Do you feel the pulse of this narrative again and again and again and again? Stressing that Yitzchak is the ear. There is no rival. And this is reflected finally by the closing Sukkim of the parasha, where it says, Ve'ela told us Yitzchak, these are the generations, Ve'ela told us Yishmael, I apologize, these are the generations of Yishmael, and in about seven sentences, it tells us the whole told us Yishmael, the whole Yishmael story. Now, there, there's, a, there's a nuance here. Next week's parsha, parsha's told us that says ve'ela told us Yitzchak. These are the children of Yitzchak, and that story continues through the rest of Chumash. Notice the seven pasuk ela told us Yishmael at the end of our parsha. In contrast to the ongoing ela told us Yitzchak, it is so clear from that juxtaposition, the abutting narratives. Ela told us Yishmael at the end of this parsha versus ela told us Yitzchak starting last week's parsha. 
the Ela told us Yishmael as a quick, accelerated narrative, kind of wiping Yishmael off the stage very quickly then to move on to Ela Todos Yitzchak. That is a further vindication and validation of the larger theme and concept of this narrative, which is Yitzchak is it no one else. Clear. That is clearly what this narrative is about. Why is that significant within the larger context of Parshish Chayisar? Because Parshish Chayisar is dealing with the overall issue of Sarah, the enduring role of the Jewish woman. When Sarah dies, her values will not die. Other Jewish women will take her role. Sarah doesn't die. Sarah is too indispensable to be jettisoned and pushed to the side. Well, I would say for that reason, it is stressing Yitzchak's succession of Avram. You know why? Because Yitzchak's succession to Avram was really Sarah's charge. You understand that? Sarah pushed very hard to ensure that her son Yitzchak would continue the Messiah of Avram. So much so that we, we find only two moments of tension in Avram and Sarah's marriage, at least recorded in the Chumash, and they both regard this issue. In Parshas Lech Lecha, when Hagar conceives and seemingly going to father a child and a rivalry is developing, and Sarah stares down Avram and she says, put an end to this. And then later in Parshas Vayera, when Yitzchak and Yishmael are both children, and there's a, there's a rivalry, and Sarah says, send them out, and Avram is reticent, Sarah p- sticks out of her neck, right, over one issue. And that is ensuring that her son Yitzchak will continue the Masoda. She understands the importance of this issue with her classic maternal judgment, right, of what of the dynamics of Masoda and Bunin and all of that. This is a Sarah issue. And therefore, I argue this final narrative of Parshas Chai Sarah is in line with the larger issue. It is Taka Chai Sarah, the life of Sarah, the legacy of Sarah. While she seems to be dying, it is in fact Chai Sarah, the life of Sarah. Reflected in the opening narrative, the inability to move beyond her death and just move right on because she's too primal, she's too indispensable. In the middle narrative, Rivka continuing the, the, the ethos of Jewish femininity, which Sarah began. And finally, the final narrative, the assertion. That though she's dead, and though, I, and though Avram might be marrying another woman, Keturah, Sarah's values do not die, as represented by the continued acknowledgement of her deepest desire that her son Yitzchak continued in Well, this Mahalik, this development in the parish, particularly the final one, the understanding, that the parsha's climax without with Yitzchak's succession of the throne is really all about the vindication of Sarah's wish. Has a splendid, finds a splendid corollary in the Haftorah. And this is magical. This is magical. There are many correlations between our, the Haftorah and our parsha. But on, the, but on one level, if you study the Haftar carefully, you will see, it's talking about the death of David Amalach, which is much like the death of Avram Avinu in our parasha. Both of them are respective 
patriarchs of a dynasty, in the case of Avram Claudius, or in the case of David Malchus based on. And in both cases, it's uncanny dissimilarity that there is a rivalry, right? There's a question of who will the successor be, and our parish of the issues will it be Yitzchak in the final validation, and in the Haftorah, the focus is ensuring that Shlomo will be the successor, not other children such as Adoniyahu, who answer a bell. Well, in the Haftorah, who is it who saves the day and insists to old and firm dying dove and ensure that it is Shlomo and not another unworthy child? It is Basheva. It is Shlomo's mother, David's wife, who is the heroine who saves the day. Well, far, than not, far more than just a story, there's a magic to all of it now. There's a magic to the selection as the Haftorah Tar Parsha now. As Parshas Chayisara, attesting to the eternity of Sarah's legacy, particularly with regard to Yitzchak's role as successor. Well, that is so magically mirrored in the Haftorah, where it is actively the Jewish woman ensuring that the Mesorah of the dying father will continue in her worthy son. Clear, beautiful, resonant. What a deeper level of appreciation we have for Chazal's selection of the Haftarah. What a deeper appreciation we have for our Mahalich to the Parsha, Parshas Chai Saru, as the story of the life of Sarah, the eternity of Sarah's legacy. Both as a wife and ultimately as a mother. And with all of this in mind, all the textual work we've done tonight, we can we can repeat a thought which we've said in the past in this parasha, that it's fascinating that during Sarah's lifetime, Sarah was not front and center. Avram is the protagonist of the story. And perhaps this is most reflected in the statement he made by Ohel, the Malachim asked, where is she? Oh, she's in the tent. She's behind the scenes. Beyond that particular exchange he made by Ohel, I believe that Hineba Owel kind of contours, kind of shapes for us where Sarah's position is in the story during her life. She's not front and center. Our home is clearly the protagonist. But yet when she dies, all of Parshas Chai's Sarah, the life of Sarah, is all about the eternity of her legacy. How interesting that Sarah and we are positing by extension all Jewish women. They might be underappreciated during their lifetime. Hine ba'ohel. But when they die and they're no longer here, they are so appreciated. This can be interpreted on many, 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 many different levels. But certainly on the simplest level, the Azo Connecto, the nurturer who makes it all possible, and is not promoting herself, but ensuring everyone else's viability, vitality. She's getting it all done behind the scenes, right? So she's so easy to underappreciate. But then suddenly when she's not here anymore, and it becomes so apparent how indispensable she was and how overwhelming the grief is, as everyone begins to experience in our parasha. 
So the, the greatest, the most profound testament, the indispensability of the Eishaschai is actually in her death. What a relevant theme pervasively permeating the parsha. May we all be Zoha, though we are never going to fully appreciate Arnashechayel during their, their lifetimes. It just comes, comes with the territory. The Chayisar is when she's no longer here. But given those limitations, may we all have the utmost hakara and recognition for this great cherished gift called the Chayisar in our lives. Thank you very much.